Hello everyone, welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're in uh, the midst of our book uh, by frame. Uh, so we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, apologetics. Who, who would have thought we were talking about apologetics? And so if you remember from the last chapter, we covered the message of the apologist, what, what we should uh, kind of bring to the table. And in the next uh, kind of uh, three or four chapters, uh, Frame is going to be uh, talking about uh, apologetics as proof, and so he's going to look at uh, certain considerations, certain arguments on kind of what, okay, so we know what the, the, the overall message should be, but what what should we be bringing specifically to the table? Is it you know, just uh, hammer them with the resurrection, or is it uh, only to look at uh, a, a certain focus of the teleological uh, argument? And so um, here... Uh, uh, in chapter three, Frame really lays out kind of the the the, the method to the madness and and what <laughs> what, what scripture says, what uh, what people say, and um, you know what what uh, what uh, people actually mean by by proof. And so uh, that's where uh, where we start uh, here as apologetics as proof, some methodological considerations. Yeah, so that's kind of a mouthful for the chapter heading here. Right, <laughs> right. I'm going to have to shorten it for the YouTube title for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so in the remaining chapters, he says he intends to discuss more fully the three forms of apologetics defined in the first chapter, which was proof, defense, and offense. So you know, just general proof in in here are kind of the facts of the case. Defense, which means uh, you know you're you're helping the believers um, um, understand the faith and um, be preserved in it. And then offense is uh, those that you take to uh, unbelievers. He says in this chapter, in the next three, the subject will be proof or finding a rational basis for faith. But no, no, you just just leap blindly in. It's it's what you want to believe. Faith has nothing to do with trust in something. It's just uh, blind trust that that, that you're you're able to uh, just uh, put out there in the ether. And there's, there's no, there's no tether to it whatsoever. Okay. And no, that's that, clearly, that's, yeah, yeah that's that might be the opposite what, of what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not what he's talking about. Right. And so in this section, faith, scripture, and evidence, he specifically says faith is not mere rational thought. Right. Um, uh, but it is, uh, and it, but it's not irrational either. Right. So it's more than, it's not mere rational, but it's not irrational. He says, it's not belief in the absence of evidence. Right. Sometimes we hear that, you know, uh, Faith is believing what you know ain't so right kind of thing. He says, no, it's not belief in the absence of evidence. Rather, and here it is here, it is a trust that rests on sufficient evidence. So Mm -hmm. notice it's a trust. So it's more than just kind of an intellectual, rational type of thing. It's a trust that rests on sufficient evidence, on sufficient evidence. And so he's going to jump right into uh, giving us an, an illustration of this right with Abraham. Yeah. With Abraham. So Abraham's willingness to uh, sacrifice his son, Isaac in Genesis 22 is often presented uh, both in the old Testament and the new Testament and by apologists as an example of faith that uh, contravenes a moral and rational norms. Uh, yeah, but, it's irrational for Abraham to, to sacrifice his son. What's going on there. Right. right? It's just right. kind of, uh, okay, that might be faith, but it's kind of a leap of faith and just doing something that really doesn't even seem moral, right? Mm-hmm. Is 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 what the claim oftentimes is here, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I thought I thought God didn't want us to sacrifice, uh, you know, children to, to Molech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's well, that's going true. on here? D- don't yeah. sacrifice your children to Molech. Absolutely. <laughs> Please stop. 
<laughs> but this analysis often fails to take into account the fact that Abraham had a very firm basis for doing what he did, namely the command of God. Mm. So, you know, mm. it, it's not, uh, uh, you know, I, I've got a feeling that if, if I do this, I'll, I'll show God faith. No, this is a, a direct command from uh, the, the, the being that he knows is God. This isn't, this isn't Satan. This isn't, um, you know, his wife, this isn't uh, a plurality <laughs> of, of leaders in, in the community. This is a direct command from God. What God says can be neither irrational nor immoral for his word defines rationality and morality for us. And again, and so this is a really, really important point, right? I mean, it's really key. What he's saying basically is, you know, as believers, as Christian believers, we hold that the word of God is indeed the word of God and, and God whose character is, you know, rational and logical. That, that's part of who he is. Then what when he what he says cannot be irrational and it cannot be immoral. Right. If God's word says it, he by virtue of who he is and his character, he is moral and right. he is rational. Right. And again, he's not reaching out into the ether to pull these rules down. And he's not just saying, well, it's Tuesday. So, uh, you know, t today murder is, is fine. Uh, what he's saying is is from his uh, his being and from from his person. It's derived out of him. And that's where we have to to understand those things, unless if we fall into uh, the false dilemma that uh, is known. So, so yeah. And so this kind of. You know, oftentimes the uh, divine command theory is, um, and we've seen this before in other books that we've mm -hmm. read, is kind of criticized because it makes God's commands with regard to morality arbitrary. And uh, but if but if they're based on his character, on who he is, right? Then it's not just any whim, you know, uh, whimsical command that God makes. That's become that becomes the you know the the right thing to do. No, his commands are based on who he is, his character. And so, and he doesn't change. And so there's no arbitrariness there. Right. Right. It, in one sense, he can tell us not to be jealous of, you know, uh, 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 somebody else's property, but he can say, uh, you know, why are you going after uh, other gods? I, for I am a jealous God. Well, it's only wrong for you to be jealous because you're not owed that other property of your neighbors, but God is owed complete fealty to him because of who he is. And uh, on the opposite end, uh, the, the, the false gods are false. And so, so he is able to, you know, what, what we would say, and we looked at uh, in, in Lyle's book, uh, oh, you know, he, here's a contradiction. It says, you know, don't be jealous, don't, don't covet. But here, God's coveting. God's coveting, you know, the, the, the response from, from the people. And it's like, but yes, that, that's, that's true because it holds true that uh, he's, he's able to command that based on who he is and, and from his character. All right. So here the oh, a faith does not, um, the faith does not believe despite the absence of evidence, rather faith, faith honors God's word as sufficient evidence. God said it, I should do it. And, and, and look at how Abraham thinks about those things. Well, I know the, 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 uh, the, the, the Messiah will, will come from, um, from, uh, you know, my son. And uh, therefore, if I do this, uh, God will have to raise him up. And so he, he, he is rationalizing the statements made by God's earlier commands with God's current command. So he still is going to carry this out, 
if not, he's, he's not going to have a, a conversation. Oh God, if I do this, then, then your, your, your previous command will ultimately fail. No, he, he, he uh, trusts that God knows what he's doing and has a purpose for this and will, uh, uh, complete it in, in the way he sees fit. He doesn't think God's going to stop him, uh, you know, before he plunges the dagger, but he, he, you know, it's that, uh, 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 mens rea uh, that uh, that is in um, our criminal justice system. You have the, the the mind of crime. You have you have the 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 mind act in your mind, and then the actus rus is you carry it out. And so mm-hmm. God stops them before the actus rus. And yeah. yeah, and and so you know, he says, you know, <laughs> now I know there, you will um, carry out my command. Uh, the, the the no there can uh, we'll we can discuss that uh, uh, further. But um, you know the the the, the the trust in God's full uh, revelation to Abraham at the time is what Abraham ultimately relies on. And it's what we should ultimately rely on. And we have way more than Abraham does. All right. Yeah. And so notice the point he's trying to make here. So somebody might argue, well, Abraham, you know, just kind of believed arbitrarily, you know, just kind of a jump in the, he says, no, no, no. Abraham had evidence. What was the evidence? The evidence was God's word. That was the evidence, right? So God's word, he's the, the point he's trying to make here, is sufficient evidence. God, what God says, that's evidence, right? And so Abraham acted on the evidence of what God had said. And, and so, and he gives us another example in uh in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that you know, that that grand chapter on the resurrection and that sort of thing, right? And the 500 witnesses and that sort of thing. He says that, uh, you know, he's often asked his students to paraphrase Paul's argument for the resurrection in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And he says that they often mention the post-resurrection appearances. There it is, right? So we can believe in the resurrection because of the post-resurrection appearances to these 500 witnesses. So there's the evidence, right? Right. He says, notice, he says that the main thrust, though, of of the chapter and of the argument is perfectly clear from the structure and content of the passage. You should, he says, believe in the resurrection because it's part of the apostolic preaching. Mm-hmm. So they preach the word of God and the word of God is evidence for us. And so they're preaching as it aligns with the word of God and what God has to say, that is the evidence, right? So, you know, he's going to say, yes, the, the you can rely on the 500 witnesses and that sort of thing, but that kind of stuff may fail. But it's the apostolic preaching, the eternal word of God, that is the evidence. And so, again, just like for Abraham, God's word is the evidence. And uh, he's making the point here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 that the uh, preaching, the apostolic preaching brings its own evidence. It is right. its evidence. It's sufficient to believe based on the trust that we have in the word of God, right? Otherwise, you know, what is Christianity all about? It's about trusting that God's who he is and what he said he would do and what he's done in our lives. We trust him. Right. And that trust is the evidence. Trusting his word, his word, not what we do, but what he says. Yeah. And the, 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 the trust aspect is important. Not, not, solely in the resurrection but in what the resurrection accomplishes which is the removal of our sin you know who who do we trust in 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 this to 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 take away to 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 remove our sin and then on top of that to uh, bestow godly righteousness upon us and so that that's that that's the the trust it's 
it's it's the uh you know a, a high level of evidence that uh here here's a, a person that says i am i am both fully god and fully man and uh i'm gonna sh- uh, show you this by by uh, raising myself from the dead but then okay he did that that's great but then when he says i have therefore paid for your sins if you uh you know put your full trust in me that that's the that's the the, the big the big trust that's that's the you know the uh, going past your eyes and 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 fully um, kind of uh, uh, turning over your entire life so that uh, that that uh, the the atonement portion is what uh, what we kind of ultimately have faith in because we need to trust God at His word because when we get to the end that's all we're going to have is is uh, yeah I mean, is, is that portion yeah and, and to a certain extent it works the same way in our relationships right if let's say a friend is over and I'm getting ready to take out the trash and my wife says no you don't need to I've already taken out the trash. And so I sit back down and my friend says, well, aren't you going to check? Uh, you need some evidence, right? No, she <laughs> said she did it. That is the evidence, yeah. right? I mean, what she said is the evidence and I trust what she says. Yeah. And so he's making the point here, the same, what God says is the evidence, right? right? God's word is the evidence for us and it's sufficient. Mm-hmm. He says both for Abraham in terms of what God said and in terms of um, the apostolic preaching in first Corinthians 15. Yeah. And we do this in, in uh, military and paramilitary organizations too. Uh, I, I I trust the leaders above me because, uh, and you know, we, we can get in that discussion, but uh, we can trust the leaders above me in, in a perfect world uh, because they might have access to information that I don't know about right now. And that I don't, maybe I don't need to know about it or, or you know, why, why are we going, uh, you know, marching towards the swamp when uh, the, 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 the better path is, you know, on this dry land right here. Well, that's because the tanks are over there, and the muddy ground is the is is the spot where the tank treads can't move. And so, we're, I'm I'm moving you around here, but I don't have enough time to tell you. Okay, let me sit down. Let's let's rationalize, discuss this. And so here, God swears by Himself and says, "I'm the most ultimate perfect being. Uh, all rationality flows from me. All uh, all uh, trustworthiness can be found in me. Do these things." Now, sometimes. The, the the weird parts are when he tells us why he's going to do do things and so <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the that's the uh the the uh the, the biggest surprise uh we do want that we do like that uh but ultimately god doesn't have to provide us that uh that excuse just based on solely who he is yeah all right so going back to our uh, corinthians passage paul is telling the corinthians that they came to faith through his preaching which includes the preaching of the resurrection. The ultimate proof, the ultimate evidence is the word of God. Eyewitnesses are important, but they die and memories of them fade. Only if their testimony is preserved in God's written word, will that testimony have continuing value down through the history of the world. Right. So you talk about valuing the word of God and making it your final authority. Boy, what a statement on the final authority, on God's word as a final authority, right? right? What God says is authoritative and it becomes evidence, sufficient evidence in and of itself. A tremendous statement here mm-hmm. on the on the validity uh, and trustworthiness of the, of uh, you know of the Word of God. And so he says to trust God's Word as ultimate evidence is not to deny, obviously, the importance of reasons. Right? God does not always, as you mentioned here, uh, as you as you were suggesting, reveal the reasons for what He says and does but as wise and true and faithful God and as the very standard of rationality 
he always has a reason whether or not he reveals it to us. Uh, you know, he has one, but uh, and he doesn't have to reveal it. But we can trust it, right? And so, ultimate evidence is uh, is the trustworthy word of God. Tremendous mm-hmm. statement on on uh, the authority of Scripture. Right. So, Scripture often contains its own reasons for the things it says, and just as its truth are authoritative, so also are its reasons. We have an obligation not only to believe scriptural truths, but also to believe it for scriptural reasons. That makes sense. Showing biblical reasons for biblical truth is an important part of apologetics. And it's one of the kind of the benefits that uh, presuppositional apologetics has is, is we say this is our ultimate authority. We derive our reasons and uh, our, our, our truth from, from that. And we proclaim those things. And that's not to say that we don't value evidence or, you know, you know, going to witnesses, going to the science, going to reason and logic and morality. But we draw our ultimate uh, uh, um, response to those uh, um, things that the, the, the uh, general revelation produces uh, f- from our observing of them. And we uh, put them through the lens of, of the special revelation. Yeah, exactly. And so he gives here, uh, you know, a uh, another illustration. He says, why did Jesus curse the fig tree in Matthew 21, 19 and, and follow? He says, it seems like such a cruel and petty thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, That would be a claim, right? He says, but the believer should answer by showing from Scripture itself the symbolism of the approaching judgment and therefore the point of Jesus' object lesson. Jesus was... Uh, who's the you know creator of all things can do whatever he wants with his creation and it's it's the right thing to do right and uh he was giving an object lesson now notice this does not mean that direct scriptural proof is the only apologetic evidence that god permits us to use right uh, you know as we see in scripture itself directs us to consider evidence outside itself right paul's you know, his argument in First Corinthians implies that if people have doubts, they can look up the witnesses, right? So they mm-hmm. are part of the evidence, but um, they're part of the evidence, right? But God's word is also, it is the authoritative uh, evidence that uh, we can uh, depend on. Right? Yeah. So yes, we can have outside, outside of scripture, of course we have evidence, right? Um, but let's not dismiss what scripture has to say and begin to look outside only right uh, we see that with doubting thomas uh jesus per, uh you know presents himself as as the proof that uh, you know thomas needs but thomas should have believed based on the authority of uh his friends who uh you know came and 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 told him uh you know here's the resurrection of our lord uh and uh you know the the the, the romans didn't just take him away and um, you know, here's here's uh, our line of argumentation, and uh, uh, you know th- th- there should have been a reach back to to, to the proof. We we see the Bereans do that. We see the Bereans, you know, uh, they they take the 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 preaching of, of Paul and they don't go. Well, let let me touch Jesus's you know uh, hands and side and feet. They go, let us open God's word and see if what is being proclaimed about uh, by Paul is matching up with what we would see from scripture and they ultimately believe and they're commended for it. And so even Jesus commends, you know, he says, you know, uh, where, where you need to prove Thomas, uh, blessed be those who, uh, who don't need this type of, of, of proof. They just need God's ultimate authority, which is his word to, to believe. 
Good. So, so yeah, Bereans, right? What was their evidence? Well, they got in the scriptures. The scripture <laughs> was their evidence. That's what was their evidence was that Paul was preaching the truth. Yeah. What do the scriptures say? Oh, yeah. okay. Scriptures say that. He said it. Scripture says it. That's our authoritative word of God. It's the evidence that we need. Which, which is why Jesus was so angry at the Pharisees, because they had an overabundance of, of scriptural proof. And they they uh, uh, had at times even correct action or correct understanding of of his his uh, teaching. You know, you say this good, but then you know you you do these things, and it shows opposite. Or you know, uh, um, the, the Messiah will come and and uh, you know heal his people. Here I am healing them, and you attribute to me uh, the, the the you know the the works of Beelzebub. Um, you know how how can this happen? The, the house divided itself cannot stand. Okay, so Jesus is holding them to correct action, but the proof isn't enough to persuade them there. Uh, what ultimately should be persuading to them is what uh, Jesus calls them back to. It's what he calls back the the, the rich man who, who leaves because he's sad, is always back to the authority of God's word. So what, what are the ultimate commandments? Uh, uh, you know, love God and love others. Great. Uh, I've done all these things. Okay, great. So go and sell everything that you have because you're not following me right now. And he knows who, who the rich man is and he goes away sad. So it's, it's the, the, the lack of uh, uh, belief there stems from lack of trust and authority in God's word to, to do those things. Great. You might be rich now, but guess what? Come, come 70 AD, uh, your riches uh, probably won't mean anything when the Romans come tearing through here. Uh, but you could have ultimate, uh, you know, uh, wealth uh, by, by, by believing the Messiah, even if, even if you die a poor pauper, uh, you know, next to him. All right. Uh, next up uh, for the section is called the concept of proof. And we bring uh, Van Til back into the conversation here. And he says, what do we mean, though, by proof in this sort of discussion? Well, the most uncontroversial examples of proof are those in mathematics, where propositions are derived by strictly logical inferences from axioms. You know, one plus one equals two. Uh, OK, uh, pr prove that. Okay, here's one, and then I had another one, and then the, I have two of those things. Yeah, I mean, you just—I mean, that's just you know—that's just syllogism. You just, you just said the same thing over again. Well, axioms are propositions that are considered self-evident, or at least are assumed for the purposes of the discussion. Okay, I mean, I—I I don't know if there's one that exists in the world, but here's one apple, and here's another one, and we'll just call this two. Okay, for the purpose of discussion, fine. Does that make it true? Well. We do. Everybody does. Yeah, exactly. So so what he's talking about here is the formal technical concept of proof, right? Where we use these strict, uh, you know, uh, axiomatic statements to mm -hmm. get to, 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 you know, to show a proof. And we do this not only in mathematics, but also in logic as well, right? In fact, he's going to give us an example here of uh, uh, this kind of you know, logical proof here and, and um, with regard to God's existence. He says, on this understanding of proof, a proof for God's existence might go something like this. Premise one, what scripture says is always true. Premise two, scripture says that God exists and the conclusion, therefore God exists, right? So there is a formal, logical, uh, you know, valid deductive argument. That's what we would right. call this in, in logic, right? It, it's valid because if the premises are true, they force the conclusion to be true, right? So it's a it has it has the the structure of a valid deductive argument. 
But notice he says here, something is lacking here with regard to what we generally think of as proof, you know, outside of mathematics or logic and that sort of thing. No, no, it's the same exact thing. One plus one equals two. <laughs> equals is the conclusion. Therefore, the, this, this has to be the case, right? Right. Well, well yeah, but yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. Easy peasy. We've just proved the existence of God. Thank you for joining us, Cape Cross Projects. This will be the last episode. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Practically speaking, though, we would not likely uh, use this proof in our witness to non-Christians. Most intelligent unbelievers today would dismiss it simply by denying the biblical authority on which it is based. The circle is too narrow for them. In one sense, the problem is not with the proof, but with the unbeliever. He ought to accept biblical authority, and therefore he ought to accept our proof. But of course, he doesn't. Why? Because he denies it. Right. And so he says, so, so you know, so this proof is too narrow, he says. And, and in chapter one, he made, he made the distinction between broad and narrow kind of circular arguments, right? And, and so he says, this one is, is too narrow for, for the unbeliever, right? And so one way to approach then this problem is to revise our concept of proof somewhat by, you know, incorporating the whole idea of the believers, uh, the unbelievers, or the response. That is to say that it's not uh, sufficient for a proof to be based on true premises and sound logic. It must also be persuasive. Mm. So now notice what he's added is not just the, you know, the validity of the statements, right? These statements force the conclusion to be true. But now they also have to be persuasive. So maybe that is what we need in order to get around this circularity issue, this narrow circularity. He says that we might say that an argument in order to be proof then must be persuasive to every rational person. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if we just find that one argument that will convince everybody, then, then we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Then we got proof. Yeah, yeah exactly. So he says, uh, he says this, he says, I do think that the persuasion is an important concept, but he doesn't agree that it should be incorporated in the concept of proof that would limit proof to those that actually persuade people. But in fact, scripture teaches that good proofs do not always persuade for unbelievers repress the truth. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's, so it's, persuasiveness it's, is good, yeah. but it can't be part of the definition of what formal proof is, is yeah. what he's saying. I think, uh, you know, uh, look at Jonah. Uh, Jonah goes, if I go to Nineveh, they will believe and be saved. And I hate them. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm going <laughs> to uh, defy God, the God who can make an entire nation of Nineveh, of, of enemies of his people, believe and repent of their sin. I mean, that ultimately, that's what we should want. But his unbelief in wanting that to happen uh, even though he, you know, he's denying the concept that he is, is, is believing in automatically. Uh, God is so sovereign that he can create this a whole nation to, to, uh, repent and believe. Therefore, I'm going to try and go away from that because I'm, I'm the source that will, will bring that to them. And, uh, you know, we all know, uh, the, the Pinocchio story that, uh, that happens as a result there. Um, yeah. so, you know, there's, there's, there's the, 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 the knowledge of it, he, he knows those things, but he's not persuaded and he's not persuaded. Why? Because he has this preconception of not uh, liking these people that uh, that he's uh, being sent to. 
Yeah, exactly. So now notice he says he thinks it's right to define proof of that which ought to persuade, right? So yes, proof ought, it's not that it does persuade, but he says it's okay to define it. He thinks it's right to define it as that which ought to persuade, but that doesn't help us to show that, uh, you know, what's missing in his narrowly circular type of argument here. Uh, he says these arguments kind of fit that definition of truth. He says at this point, what, uh, you know, we must invoke a godly pragmatism within the overall teaching of scripture. And the, the idea here is uh, broad, broader arguments just seem to work best. That's, that's what he's saying. So we can't be too narrow with our arguments. Broader arguments, pragmatically speaking, work best. So many unbelievers demand that we consider the facts of their experience, which seems to them to refute Christianity. So even though these facts and unbelievers use to oppose Christianity can be seen to have God's marks on them, because everything has God's mark on it, right. by the greater of all. Uh, you know, even evil is quite unexplainable, he tells us, apart from a Christian uh, theistic worldview, right? So uh, we can take that into consideration. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, th th think about it this way. If, if, if you were, uh, you know, talking to a friend, and they, uh, you, you, you know, well, why do you believe the existence of God? Oh, let me tell you a story about how God saved me from my sin and I completely changed my life. Oh, well, you're just talking about a subjective experience, a religious experience that happens to, to that happened to you. Uh, you know, other religions have uh, their versions of religious experiences. Uh, you would deny theirs, right? Well, yes. Okay, but I need you to, to prove to me why God exists. Aren't you asking for a subjective experience? Aren't you? Aren't you saying if if you present enough evidence uh, of what I desire to to me, then th then I'll believe. Well, okay, you know, here's here's uh, the the complete uh, uh, underpinning of of the um, of the uh, evolutionary cycle and uh, uh, the the structure of the universe is uh, fit so well that uh, it can only exist uh, based on an intelligent designer. Well, that doesn't really convince me. Well, okay. At that point, you're looking for that subjective religious experience to convince you. And that's the only thing that would convince you is, is those things. I, I, you know, all, all proofs are, are God's proof and I can bring up all these uh, things and you could say, well, that doesn't really do it for me. Well, okay. At, then at that point, you're asking me to present to you my religious experience, right? Cause that, that's what convinced me was a religious experience. Uh, and, and he gets into the fact that, uh, you know, the, those types of, of logical syllogisms usually doesn't uh, come into the picture when you're discussing this. And so that's why this broader um, uh, approach is what he's uh, presenting. So he says the restrictions on apologetic arguments that emerge from our discussion are, are so far these. The premise and the logic and the arguments uh, of the arguments must be consistent with biblical teachings, which includes bi biblical epistemology, how we know things through uh, the um, um, going back to God's word. The premises uh, also must be true and logically valid. And the third one is that the specific subject matter of the argument must take into account the specific situations of the inquirer, his education, his interests, his questions, and so on. And the third point means that the apologetic argument is person variable. No single argument is guaranteed to persuade every unbeliever or to assuage every doubter in a believer's heart. There's not a one plus one equals two type uh, argument because that's you know what what that might work for some person uh, doesn't seem to always be the case and so um, 
as far as what we are bringing to the table, then where does that leave us? Yeah, good. So uh, the argument must be consistent with biblical teaching. It must be, you know, sound that is true and logically valid. And, you know, this, uh, this uh, third one was really interesting here because it has, it takes to do with this, you know, it takes up this persuasive type of uh, thing here. The third one is the subject matter must take into account the specific situation of the person that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And so the argument needs to be person variable. And so, you know, keep them, keep that in mind, put that in your back pocket because he's going to talk some more about that as we go. And so uh, we want to take this section up next time and, um, and, and see where he goes with this whole idea of proof and, and how it works in the apologetic methodology. Right. So we'll, we'll pick this one up next time as, uh, as we continue in John Frame's, uh, you know, apologetics, a justification of Christian belief and, uh, and uh, this whole area of talking about proof. Yeah. Presuppositionalist talking about a proof. This, this is crazy. Come back next yeah, time for a crazy, a crazy uncanny <laughs> episode. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.